0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Why do people go bald? Why are baboons bums red? What's a light year? Why do leaves go brown in the autumn? Why do monkeys like bananas? Why do some things glow in Why the dark? Why animals not understand you? Why do my receipts fade after a
1: year? Don't know the answer? <laughs> Ask the Naked Scientists.
0: Hello and welcome to this week's Ask the Naked Scientists with me, Sue Marchant, and Dave Ansell. Now, Andrew in Cambridge straight away has a question for you uh, regarding jet engines on static test. Down the exhaust jet, there are illuminous disks evenly spaced. What are they and how do they come about?
2: I'm not entirely sure what he means. I have no idea. I have a clue what it might be. Um, The way a jet engine works, it's similar principle to the car, but basically you suck air in at the front. Um, and then you compress it. um, You put it through, um, basically you have a big spinning turbine and you have a load of vanes on that turbine, basically big fans, and the air gets sucked in and deeper into the engine and compressed. It gets to a nice high pressure, you inject fuel, you burn it, Um, and that gets very very hot when you heat up a gas it expands so it tries to expand a lot Um, it's easier for it to get out the back than the front although there are turbine blades in the back and they're set at a much less steep angle so it's much easier for the gas to escape out the back rushing out the back um, pushes basically uh, the jet engine effectively is pushing the air backwards Um, so the air pushes the um, engine forwards and pushes the plane along Mm. Um, but in order to drive those compressive blades at the front those compressor fans at the front, um, it needs to get energy from somewhere, and the way it does it, it has a, a load of um, blades at the back, which kind of um, get blown around by all the air expanding outwards, and so you've got a whole set of another whole other fat set of fans at the back, which basically work like a wind turbine. There's all this air, r- hot air is rushing past, they get turned around, and then that turns the um, engine, which runs the fans at the front. Um, one thing the disc could be is these fans at the back. They're spinning at a huge numbers, thousands and thousands of RPM, so they just look a blur. So you might be seeing red-hot blades spinning around incredibly fast. And those are one thing which the set of concentric discs could be. Um, otherwise, basically everything in the back of an engine is going to be very, very hot, so it's going to be glowing red-hot. Um, and so basically any circular thing inside the engine is going to look like a red-hot disc. Mm. Um, and then with modern jet engines um, the actual, the the big fan you see at the front aren't these compression fans, the axle which is being spun by all this hot air expanding then basically drives a a propeller on the front which drags lots and lots of air around the outside um, and moves lots of air slowly which is more efficient than moving a small amount of air fast and so you'll see the sort of big uh, outside part of the engine and the inner bit will be very red hot with the concentric discs, but I'm, without seeing a picture, I can't be any more precise than that, I'm afraid.
0: Mm. All right. Thank you, Angie. (laughs) And thank you, Dr. Dave. Ralph in Stanford, Dr. Dave, says it's puzzled him over the last couple of days. Having a chat on the phone, put it down, and nine times out of ten, it'll ring again for no apparent reason, but no one is there. Why is this? That is a really spooky thing. I've had that happen to me before. What do you reckon?
2: Um, Quite often the um, phone calls where you pick them up and there's nobody there are actually um, companies who are trying to sell things to you. Mm. Because what they do is they have a... Because they want to keep the people who are doing the talking in the call centre busy all the time. They don't want them sitting around all that ten seconds while they try and phone someone up and then they don't answer. So what they do instead is they get a computer to phone people up. And then um, phone lots of people up, and then as, as soon as they answer, they try and connect them to somebody who's an operator who's trying. Then tries to sell you something.
0: I know it's so irritating. It's very irritating, particularly for elderly people who maybe yeah. have a trouble to get to the phone, and you know, then they worry. Yeah, yeah, um, it's wrong. Should be stopped. And then
2: <laughs> basically, then what happens is that they um, phone up too many people. They don't have anyone to answer Answer it, and it goes quiet. It's a horrible. It's not a nice practice, but it's probably what it is, and why it's always off. I mean, they're probably phoning you at times when they think you're likely to be in, which is probably when other people are phoning you as well.
0: And you can take yourself off registers like that, can't you? Somewhere,
2: yes. I I think you have to. There is a register you can call, which should stop all the reputable ones phoning you. Yeah,
0: I think you have to ask your phone provider about that. Right, I hope that's answered your question, Ralph, and um, I know it is irritating, it really is. Mike in Colchester says, um, we know why we have a good, healthy head of hair, um, but what's the point of under hair, underarm hair and pubic hair in the modern person? Why hasn't it gone during the process evolution? Now, Mike, what a great question, because quite you're quite a hairy person, aren't you? I'm quite hairy. I'm, I'm pleased not. to say I'm not, but what, <laughs> where are you going with that one? <laughs>
2: Um yes I mean underarm hair it does seem quite odd. I mean the the problem is evolution it's not a perfect thing. It doesn't get rid of everything which is useless and things don't have don't actually have to have a purpose. They just have to help you reproduce or not be bad for you reproducing. Mm. So I and mean, it could be that um it's useful for um sort of basically evolution hasn't really been going very much in the last few thousand years because a lot of people have been surviving Only uh, it only acts very strongly when a lot of people are dying because if lots of people are dying then the only ones who survive are the ones with the with a certain set of features. If if ninety percent of people are dying and then ten percent with a certain set of features survive, then they, the population is going to change quite quickly. Mm. If most people are surviving, mm. then the the people then humans aren't going to change very quickly, or a species isn't going to change very quickly. Um, underarm hair. Um, one theory of I mean, I, one theory of mine is that it might be quite useful for wicking sweat out and sort of lubricating your underarms a bit. Maybe if you are getting old and uh, adult and sweaty, it sort of wicks the sweat out maybe um it could also be good for wicking out sort of um smells because um as you recall, there's
0: nothing worse than a smelly man <laughs> or woman for that much.
2: although apparently it depends on the smelly man if it's the right smelly man women can find it quite attractive
1: it's just all the ones who they don't find <laughs> yes. attractive you,
2: you see, it's a way of picking because uh, one uh, your body odor um it tells subconsciously tells it's your scent. The opposite sex yes things about your immune system and people have done some research to find out that it's found out that um, people with different immune systems find the smell. Women find men with a different immune system attract their smell attractive. So the smell is telling you something about the immune system. And then if you breed with someone with a very different immune system, you'll be immune to. Your children will be immune to lots more different things than each of you are individually. Whereas if you breed with someone who's got very similar. Um, Immune mean, system to you, you'll only be—they'll only be immune to the things which you're immune to. So some diseases are more more likely to get um, bad diseases.
0: After sh- after shave sales have gone down now, Dave. you do realise that. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Doctor Dave, um, Mick has says, do you know about the um, Aris V super rocket being designed by NASA?
2: Yes. Ooh. Um, this is one of the two new rockets which NASA's building now. Um, the first one, they're basically to replace the space shuttle. Um, they've sort of worked out that the space sh- uh, if you send up the space shuttle and um, you're sort of lifting 100 tonnes of, of plane in order to lift 20, uh, into space, in order to get 20 tonnes of um, stuff out the back of it. And so although it's reusable, the amount of energy it takes lifting the plane up and then bring it back down again is very inefficient. So what they're doing is they're going to replace the space shuttle with much more conventional rockets um there's the Ares one which is it's actually one of the um solid fuel rocket boosters from the side of the space shuttle Mm -hmm. um, with another rocket on the top and Mm -hmm. then some people on the top of that so it's a bit like a giant firework rocket which is slightly scary concept um but the idea of that is basically make something quite very very simple which should be very reliable to get people up into space and sort of maybe a a few two or three tons of stuff up with them to keep them alive for a bit And then that will get the people up to the International Space Station. But they're they're wanting to go back to the moon and build a um, base on the moon. So to do that, you need to get a lot of stuff into space. So what they want to do is build a much, much bigger rocket, the Ares 5. Um, This is sort of, if you imagine a space shuttle, it's sort of a longer version of the space shuttle tank with the two boosters on the side. Instead of having the rockets on the shuttle, they've just put the rockets on the bottom of the main tank um so and this huge great rocket and then a- another stage on top of that and that ought to be able to lift about 190 tons into low earth orbit which wow. is a very very large rocket even bigger than Sa- uh, even bigger than saturn fives um and then the idea is that you can then take lots of stuff to the moon using that um you t- send it up into orbit then it meets up with the smaller um, rocket with Sa- um, astronauts in it. it then then it go then they sort of dock on and then get sent over to the moon and mm. then you land um, so yes, a huge great rocket um, like they'll actually get, end up building it um, they took, it's going to be a few years before it gets working, they're planning on 2019 but mm. they, this sort of thing generally take longer yeah. than they, they planned because it's going to turn out to be more expensive and so it, sort of, so it uh, gets longer and longer and whether it was the credit crunch I don't know mm. But yes, that's basically what I know. With any, like, we'll build a um, base on Mars in, in sort of 10 or 15 years' time. Wow. But based on the moon, Mars is probably a
0: bigger challenge. That's quite something, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, Um, absolutely cosmic. Now then, Gerald has sent an email in. He says, has the good Dr Dave got any cool snow experiments to show off to the children? I've done the principles of movement with a sledge and how the tracks slide. I've also put half a litre of hot water into a five litre empty bottle, emptied it quickly and put it on the snow to demonstrate expansion of gases and the effects of air pressure. Yasmin, who's age 12, comes up with some interesting questions. And after I explain the principles to her, She looks at me crossly and says, You are doing it again. You're turning me into a fuzziest. (laughs) How can you help Gerald?
2: I'm not sure I can help with the fuzziest. Um, But (laughs) one experiment which is quite nice is if, um, and sort of explains why everyone's throwing salt on the road all the time, um, is if you you get some snow, put it in a container, get a thermometer, it'll probably be around about zero degrees centigrade. Mm. If you then throw some salt in, what happens is that it forces the ice to melt. Yeah. But ice melting takes a large amount of energy because ice is uh, a solid. It's locked together with lots of strong bonds, lots of strong hydrogen bonds. In order for it to melt, you've got to melt all these bonds, which takes a huge amount of energy. And so when you throw on the salt, it melts the ice, but that energy's got to come from somewhere. And where it comes from is by cooling down the ice and the water which you've produced. And so if you throw um, salt onto ice or snow... You can quite easily get the temperature down to minus 18, minus 20. And as an added thing, if you make some nice ice cream mix, um, so get some cream and some something sweet, ice cream and um, fruit is quite nice, um, sort of raspberries and things, you get some nice frozen raspberries. Oh, yeah, sorbets. Yeah, yeah. So, well, not not sor- sorbets, but you get frozen raspberries mm, and um, mm. black. Um, so blueberries and things, blueberries yes. nice yeah. frozen um, fruit. Make, warm that up, mix that in with some sugar. And then if you put that in a container, surround it by snow, a bit of, bit of that in a container, surround it by snow, throw some salt on the snow, the snow will get fr- get colder, down to maybe minus 18, that will freeze the cream in your ice cream. Wow. That's how they used to make ice cream before they invented fridges. They'd get ice add salt, which um, reduces the melting point, forces it to melt, sucks sucks energy from everywhere it can see, sucks energy from your cream and your sugar, and it freezes and turns into ice cream. (laughs)
0: Um, can you tell me if you can see the space shuttle docking on the International Space Station in the next few days as it launches today that 's from Mao in Norwich Dave
2: um, It will certainly be docking um, in all, i mean you can see the space station if um, with a naked eye as it passes over. Um, but it's about um, 400 kilometres away, and it's a couple hundred metres across, so it's quite a big object. So, and, and in full sunlight, that then that reflects sunlight onto you, and you can see a bright object, but you can't see any detail with it. Um, I know some amateur astronomers have got quite large telescopes, sort of six, ten-inch telescopes. Um, and pointing those at the International Space Station and getting them to track it mm. um, and some of them have come up with pictures whereby you can see different bits of the space station, and you can even see the shuttle dock to it, um, but not without so you certainly it is possible to see it, but not without a fair amount of um, money spent on telescopes or going to the NASA website, who i 'm sure will have lots of nice videos of it docking mm.
0: Now, David in Norwich, he says, talking about jet engines, as we were a little while ago, if you're in space where there's no atmosphere, you use a jet engine to turn. How is this done, as there's nothing for it to thrust against?
2: Hmm. OK, I think this is two different types of jets. A conventional jet engine um, sucks in air, burns it with fuel and throws stuff out the back. Uh, it's called a jet engine because the, the jet effect is essentially uh, if you throw something out of the back of the of, of the plane or your ship, um, you push it backwards. Um, Newton's law says every action has an equal opposite reaction, so every force has an equal opposite force. So if you push the air out the back, it pushes you forwards. Um, and so it's a jet... Um, however, and a sort of a more a more a simple jet is just squirt, if you're in space and you squirt something out of mm. a, a jet or a thruster, um, basically you um, shoot you've got high pressure gas inside your um, satellite or your spaceship, you squirt that high pressure gas out, so you're pushing it out one way, it pushes you back, and so it applies a force, and it will rotate your ship. Um, so basically, it's not a conventional jet engine. It's Essentially, a rocket um, probably doesn't, but without burning anything, um, because it, they want to be more reliable than that. So, I mean, it's using the jet effect, so they also call them jets.
0: Now, Doctor Dave, we were talking about, or you were talking about, um, you asked a question about um, armpits and bits and pieces like that, evolution, and then you were saying about um, that there'd been research gone into that Um, and Jackie has said, um, and the Border Terriers who listen intently as well um, how much research has gone into that one and how was the conclusion reached? Yes, I'm wondering about this Jackie, aren't you? If um, a man (laughs) smells right then he's going to have a better immune system to breed with. (laughs)
2: Um, I think what they were doing was they, I don't know how big a group they were using um, but what they did was they got um, lots of different men uh, they they tested their uh, immune systems, and they got a load of women and tested theirs um, like some blood tests. You'd probably, Chris would probably know better than me. Then they got the men to wear T-shirts, get them to do some exercise, um, so the T-shirts to them, them, make yeah. make them sweat a lot into the T-shirts. Then they gave all the T-shirts to each to all the women, uh, sort of one at a time, and then got them to rate rate them as to how nice they smelt. Right. and they found that the that they'd picked the T-shirts from the men um, with a different immune system to, th- their they, th- to their own, and they didn't like the ones with similar ones.
0: That's interesting. I wish I could have taken part in that experiment. <laughs> uh, Paul in Buckingham, he says, I understand adding salt to ice, the temperature will drop, but how did we make the ice if we didn't have mechanical refrigeration? He's thinking ice cream.
2: Is as a very good question, and it's a very interesting um, story actually. Um, basically, it came because, especially in the period we're talking about, 19, 18th, nineteenth century, the. The climate was a bit colder than it is now, so all sorts of places used to freeze quite hard. So to start off with them I mean, in um, in Italy and places they'd just get, climb up the mountains, chop ice uh, during the winter, bring it back down. and um, They'd build a very insulated um, room, so you'd have a uh, room with two walls with lots of straw in between the two walls, and just put lots of ice there. And if you get enough ice in one place, the amount of heat which can get in through all the straw is quite limited. Um, And so it doesn't heat, so you don't lose all the ice until quite a long way into the summer. And so you can then make ice cream using the ice in the ice house. Um, In a slightly later period in the 19th century, someone built a whole industry Mm. cutting ice um, in Canada where you got frozen lakes and putting it onto ships and then taking it all the way around the world. They were shipping it to Britain, they were shipping it, some of it they were even shipping to India.
0: Wow. There was a
2: guy who made an absolute fortune out of it. They called him the Ice King. And, yeah, they were just chopping ice up out of frozen lakes and rivers, um, and then putting it on insulated chips with lots of straw around them to keep it insulated, and shipping it around the place. I think they were losing about two-thirds of of the ice by the time they got to India. Mm. But they reckon they could still make money, but the amount of money they could sell ice for in a really hot country like India was a fortune. So they still managed to make money out of it.
0: Wow. Martini, darling. Yes, I'll just get the ice from India. Mike in Colchester says, a good tip to make um, a fast, w- cool wine. Put salt into your wine cooler and it will drop the temperature quicker and cool your wine sooner.
2: Yep, you'll make the um, cook the ice in the wine cooler much colder, so it'll suck the heat out of the wine much quicker. Bigger temperature difference, the f- faster the heat will get out. So it will cool down quicker. Nice trip, nice tip.
0: Mm. All right. Now, Christian um, from Cantley um, has said, "Dr. Dave does not seem to know much I'm about sorry. jet <laughs> engines. The luminous discs referred to are probably the standing shock waves you see when a jet engine is running on afterburner. Fuel is injected into the exhaust gas, giving more expansion and more power, but inefficiently. Secondly, jet." Engines do not push on the air. They eject air at high speed, giving equal and opposite reaction. Stand on ice and throw a kilogram weight in one direction and you will slide the other. And then imagine your, kil- your kilogram, uh, one kilo weights are one cubic metre of air weighing a kilogram and you will have the principle of a jet engine or rocket. But rockets carry their inside there's Refier inside them, yeah. Yeah, rather than gathering from ahead Christian, thank you very much I think Christian needs to be a naked scientist really <laughs> also um, Chris in Snowy Bedford um, says the visible concentric disc that you uh, your earlier caller asked about are standing pressure waves called by residents in the engine's hot exhaust gas flow thank you very much Chris and Christian as well Dave are you happy with that?
2: yeah so you'll get some areas <coughs> so the um, gas coming out um, the sort of Waves going one one way and getting reflected back again. In some areas, there'll be you'll get an area of compression. It'll be slightly hotter and global. I, I'm glad to learn that.
0: Absolutely. Well, so am I because I know nothing. You know, we have a caller, I believe, on the phone, and we've got Ian in Stevenage. Hello, Ian. Hello. You're through to Doctor Dave.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, I'd like to ask um, about GPS or you know the the, the satellites that I use for sat-navs, which uh, you know quite a few people have in their cars these days. Yeah is that is that is that one you 're hot on?
2: I can do my best
1: <laughs> okay. Um, I believe they're in fairly low earth orbit unlike the Astra you know and t v sort of satellites which are thirty six thousand miles out i 'm um, just wondering if the orbit, because it 's much lower i don 't know i don 't quite know how low they are. Um, I just wondered if if the orbit would ever decay. You know, basically, meaning they would eventually burn up uh, in the atmosphere, Um, and also the um, the European Union is actually um, planning its own fleet of um, GPS type satellites. Is it called Magellan or I can't quite remember
2: what Um, the name is now? Is it Galileo?
1: Yeah, one of those anyway. Yeah, Yeah, I think he's the bloke. Yeah, (laughs) that's the one. Uh, But I just wondered if uh, what any what if any advantage the European system might have over the American uh, you know, military system,
2: the GPS system, um, currently use. So, yes, the satellites are in a fairly low Earth orbit, much lower than the geostationary ones, which are high up. Mm. Um, I think it's relatively, sort of maybe a, a thousand miles up or so. Um, so not very, very low, like the Iridium satellite, which mm. just collided with a Russian satellite oh, right, yeah. a couple of days ago. Mm. Um, but fairly low. And so, yes, they will, um, because the atmosphere, although we say, say in space, where things like the space station are at about 400 kilometers, there's no atmosphere at all, um, there, is, there are still a few uh, atoms floating around, very, very low pressures, and you will get some friction from that, especially if the sun's very active and heating up the outer atmosphere they, that expands and then satellites slow down. Um, so, they will have a limited life. It's probably, at that sort of altitude, it's probably more limited by the length of time that the thrusters on the satellite have enough fuel, these little jets which keep the um, satellite in position. Hydrazine. Um, yeah, they quite often use hydrazine, which um, which I think it's sort of so reactive that it breaks down, it, I think they heat it up and then it breaks down into hydrogen and nitrogen of its own accord. possibly hydrogen and ammonia it breaks up of its own accord and produces a lot of extra thrust Um, and when that runs out uh, they need to keep doing that to keep them in in the right position and when you run out of the the hydrazine to keep, keep it in the right position then they slowly move out of the right orbit um, and you can't control them anymore. I think that's going to happen long before they start running out of energy due to uh, friction at that altitude. Um, the um, yeah, I think, yeah, the, the Galileo satellites which Europe are uh, producing. Um, I think they claim that they're going to be more accurate, or um, just because they're a slightly more modern technology. Um, the Americans, of course, are going to then um, produce a GPS 2 or a slightly better version of their GPS. Um, so the, the main advantage, I think, from the point of the Euro- view of the Europeans is that the Americans can't turn it off. Um, because the scary thing about GPS is that there 's someone in America who has a big switch and can turn it off, and oh. if you build all sorts of important infrastructure things completely dependent on GPS like automatic uh, all sorts of like the power grid is running off GPS time signals, um, lots of ships are being uh, navigate are being docked by GPS because you can navigate within centimeters and sort of bring it right up to a dock very accurately, planes are very dependent on it and more and more things are getting very dependent on GPS. I mean, we're certainly becoming more and more dependent on it, and either just there's a bug in their system and the whole thing goes down, or if the Americans, for some reason, hit the button and turn it off, then you're very then it's a very scary thing if your whole economy is dependent on this system, yeah. which someone has a switch to turn off. I think fundamentally that's probably the reason why they're doing it, although they're saying it will be an improvement. Thank you ah. very
0: much indeed. Thank you very much. Good to hear from you. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Um, Jenny uh, Jenner wants her daughter wants to know why is it that snow is the white colour when you hold it, but when it melts when it goes cl- and when it melts it goes clear. Uh,
2: and also big lumps of ice are clear. Um, yes. The reason is that ice is basically water. If you've ever looked at, uh, if you put a spoon into a glass of water, it quite often looks bent. Yeah. There's two things. It, lo- it looks bent because light, um, when it hits water, it slows down and refracts. You might remember this from school and it goes around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you look through a, uh, a glass of water, everything looks distorted behind it. Um, so when light hits, all the little... T- snow's made of lots of little tiny crystals, so whenever light hits one of the surface of these crystals at an angle, it's going to bend and sort of get sent off in a different direction. And also, if you shine light light on a lump of water, you get a reflection as well. So some of the light, whenever it hits the surface of water or ice, is gonna, some of it's going to bend, some of it's going to reflect, but anything, but all of that's going to end up going in a different direction to which it started. If you, that's, so if you've got one big crystal of ice... Some of it bends, but it's a big crystal, so you only get one bend and one reflection. So you, you, can put, you can ignore that, and you can still see a picture behind it, so it still looks clear. But if you have millions and millions and millions of little crystals that you get with snow, you get the light bounces and gets bent and, re- and then um, reflected and bent and reflected, so it all comes out in completely different directions. So although you're actually seeing lots and lots of little tiny distorted views of the world... They're so over on top of each other that all of the light adds up. You mix it, so all the colours which come into it gets mixed up. A mixture of all the colours, it looks white, is white, so you see it as white.
0: That's it for this week.